y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 190. We're finally out of the eights. Forever it lasted. <laughs> okay, I'm Yoda. Yoda. I know. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> We're like 10 episodes away from 200. I mean, duh, y'all can do math. But you remember when it was like, oh my God, we're at episode 100. Uh, yeah. And we got these lovely cards. I know. One of them that's a pizza and it says press here. And I didn't see the press here. And I was trying to show it to my <laughs> nephew and niece. And I kept trying to press the pizza instead of the press here. And I was like, oh, I guess the battery's dead. Oh, Lord. It's not. Instructions, that's not your thing. You know why? Because it's in like a yellow circle. Like it's like, pay attention to me. Because if something's like, pay attention to me, I ignore it. Like in an email, <laughs> if you send me something and you bold it or put it, especially if you put it in red font, my eyes skip it. Like don't, if you want me to read something, don't put it in red font. I know that makes you think it's alert, urgent, but my eyes skip it. I highlight stuff. Bold and highlight. Yeah, but still, my eyes will skip it. I'm telling yeah. you. It's like, oh, something different. Don't need that. It's a different world in my ADHD brain. <laughs> it really is. But you know what? You know who's in my world? Patreoners! I didn't steal your thunder. God, about time. Hey, thank you so much, Stephanie F. from Minnesota. Tracy N. from Alabama. Peggy H. from Michigan. Betsy K. from Washington. Sarah B. from the UK. Ruby M. from California. Sydney B. from Ohio. And Brittany G. from Mississippi. Okay, local girl. <laughs> local girl? <laughs> 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 Wasn't that funny? I don't know. It's just how you did it. Like, okay, local girl. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. We could not do this without you. If you want an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say that my story is pretty fucking terrible. Oh my gosh. So thank you question mark to Kat J for telling me about this story in the Facebook group. Who but a doozy. And she told me so long ago, she's probably not going to remember that she told me this. So content warning for all the things that have to do with children. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So picture it. It's 1.15 in the morning on July 30th of 1998. We're in Dalton, Arkansas. On this plot of land, the Elliots live there. You've got the mom, Lisa, the dad, Carl, and the two kids, Felicia and Gregory. Felicia's eight and Gregory is seven. So they live in the house. And then on that land is a trailer where Lisa's dad and stepmom live. Now, apparently, the dad and the stepmom have some mental health issues that I'm not really sure but whatever they had going on is why they weren't very helpful when it came to the situation we're about to talk about. So Lisa's stepmom had heard some commotion happening over at Lisa and Carl's house. She said that there was some hollering going on. And again, it was just like a some sort of commotion. Now, one podcast that I listened to said that the stepmom even... Like, didn't know what to do, like, called Lisa's biological mom to say, like, hey, there's some stuff going on. And the mom was like, well, call the police, you know? So they, she just, I don't know if she just wasn't capable of processing. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to try to guess what was going on with them. 
But eventually, the police were called and asked to do a welfare check. So the police go to do the welfare check. Now, I've heard a couple of different things about what happened at this welfare check. But one thing said that everything looked normal at the house, and they were just like, seems seems fine. Nobody's like outside fighting. Okay, bye. Another thing said that that night there was a really bad storm, which we do know that that's true, that there was a really bad storm. And so when the officer arrived there again, like everything looks good. Okay, bye. And leave because they didn't want to get out because of the storm. Another thing. Uh, that doesn't matter. No, I know. I feel like, but totally right. Like they're like the fucking post office, rain, sleet, snow, shine, whatever the saying is, that's what they're supposed to do. Like put on your poncho and go check. Another thing said that the officer knocked on the door, nobody came to the door, and they're like, well, I guess everything's cool. So the next morning, which I guess technically is the same morning because all that happened at like 1.15 in the morning, but so later that morning, Lisa's stepmom goes to leave her trailer, and when she opens the door, something's blocking it, and she can't open the door. Uh Uh-uh. And it was actually Lisa's body. Oh, my gosh. So whatever had happened to Lisa in the house, she had escaped, ran over to her dad and stepmom's trailer, and then, like, literally there's a handprint, like, she's reaching for the door No, when the killer came behind her and slit her throat. I'm telling y'all, this story is horrible. There's That is just a, a moment of details from this story. So... If you need to skip forward to my story through it and go straight to Donna's, I totally understand because this is a really gruesome story. So, of course, police come and, you know, they know who lives there. They're like, okay, well, there should be, you know, four people here. And when they go inside, they find seven-year-old Gregory's body. No. Well, immediately they realize that Carl and Felicia are missing. So, at first, they're like, Carl has to have killed his wife and his son and run off with his daughter. Like, we got to, you know, we got to find them. Well, and this sounds like a story you would do. Right. Well, and just to give a little details about the crime scene. I mean, it was horribly bloody. Like, veteran detectives throwing up horribly bloody. It was found that Lisa had 27 blows to the head with a tire iron. But what ended up killing her, like I said, was the cut to her throat that severed her windpipe, her carotid artery, and her jugular vein, which literally caused her to drown in her own blood. Oh my gosh. Gregory, skip forward if you need to, had nine blows to the face, (gasps) head, and chest. Are you kidding me? And... He had, and that was all with the tire iron that they did find at the scene. Oh my gosh. And they said his, uh, skip forward if you need to, they said his skull was basically like a cracked egg. Oh my gosh. And he had a few knife wounds as well. So this is clearly, I mean, beyond all things gruesome. Right. So police are like, we have got to fucking find Carl. Like, where is Carl and where did he take Felicia? Like, what is going on? Because here's the thing. 
The area that they're in in Dalton, Arkansas, is a very small and rural area. Everybody knows everybody, and it's this kind of breeding ground for drug trafficking. And Carl was no stranger to trafficking of drugs. So police really didn't know what the fuck was going on. Well, two days later, in one of the rivers running through town, they found Carl's body. Oh, my gosh. So, Carl had died from two gunshot wounds to the head. And one of those shots was right behind his ear, like, with the barrel, like, pressed against (gasps) his head. So, there's no way that he did -hmm. this himself. I mean, he has two gunshot wounds to the head. And they knew that it was with a twenty-two caliber gun. So, that, of course, brings some urgency to where is Felicia? I'm going to skip ahead to just kind of wrap this awful, awful, awful part up. They did end up finding Felicia's body a couple of years later because a hunter had trespassed on some land to go, like, you know, hunting and had stumbled across her skeletal remains. So we don't know anything about the hunter because, you know, they called it in anonymously because they were trespassing. But they didn't. It, It was just they literally stumbled upon her remains. And because it had been so long, we do not know how she died. I'm okay with that, though. Oh, gosh. I know. I know. So now I'm going to jump back again in the timeline to after Carl's body was found. So now that they know that Carl didn't do it, they start to go, okay, well, what happened? And given that this is a small town, rumors are flying. But one of the biggest things is that people say that Carl was involved with the Green family. And the Green family is this family of criminals that is kind of like the mastermind of the drug trade in the area. The patriarch of the family is Billy Dale. There's a bunch of names in this thing. So I'm going to try to just, I'm going to cut some of them out by saying somebody testified kind of thing. So someone said that a couple of days before the murders, they were at this grocery store and they saw the Elliots and Chad Green, who is Billy Dale's son, saw them arguing outside of this grocery store. Well, when this argument took place, Carl wasn't there, the dad of the two kids, the deceased. Chad Green was like pulling the shirt of Gregory and being like all up in Lisa's face and like kind of attacking. Well, let's just say attacking her son. Like, don't put your hands on somebody else's kid. Don't put your hands on your kids for that matter, but for sure not somebody else's kids. And was like, where's your husband at? Where's your husband at? Like, what, you going to take the kid while you wait on? Like, what are you doing, you know? And the guy at the grocery store kind of intervened and was like, hey, are you okay? And Chad told him, like, shut your fucking mouth, mind your business, get the fuck away. So he was like, okay. Like, you know, because this is like a very powerful family in the area. And people are scared of him. So while all this is happening... Billy Dale Green, patriarch, comes up and is like, this ain't the place to be doing this and like, get your ass in the car. And so that kind of ended that kerfluffle. But it's like, what's that about? Right. So word on the street is that Carl had, and I know it's so confusing with the Carl and Chad, 
But word on the street is that Carl Elliott, the deceased, had stolen plants, marijuana plants, from the Greens. Stolen 10 plants. And each one of those plants are valued at $1,000. Good Lord. Right. So essentially, he stole 10 grand from them. Now, that's word on the street. We don't know that for sure. But we do know that a couple of months before the murders, Lisa had asked a friend if she could borrow $10,000 because there was a debt that needed to be paid. So, you know, there's a couple of corroborating stories that do back that up. Who has $10,000 that you can borrow? Who has $10,000, period, much less to loan out? Right? So the Greens were already on the police's radar when all of this happened. But even though the crime scene was so bloody and all that, there was no forensic evidence to tie anyone to this case. Well, when Felicia's remains were found, like I said, it was two years later. So, you know, some time had passed, rumors are are swirling. But when Felicia's remains were found, they were found only half a mile from Billy Dale Green's house. So it's like, well, this is pretty fucking close. Yeah. Again, a, a pretty stout circumstantial case is beginning to develop. So there was another rumor going around that Chad Green had been molesting Felicia for a while. Oh my gosh. Now, he actually is a known pedophile. So there was some other legal stuff that by the time this case kind of gets wrapped up, he was going to be going to jail for a long time for another case involving an eight-year-old girl. So he's a known pedophile. Now, some people allege that Lisa would dress Felicia in quote-unquote provocative clothing. And I know that's a very touchy subject, So I'm just saying what the reports are and that I just don't understand how that ties in. Like, I just don't believe that. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, you know what I mean? It's not like she was like, for lack of a better word, pimping her out, you know, because they're saying that Chad was assaulting her and Mama Lisa found out and was like, fuck you, we're going to police. And that that's why all this went down. Well, at this point, five years have passed, like almost to the day, and Billy Dell's ex-wife and Chad's mom comes forward and says that they had both confessed to her that they did the murders. Oh, shit. She said that on the night of the murders, Billy Dell Green had gotten a phone call from Chad Green saying that he needed some help. And when Billy Dell left, he told her he had to go help Chad clean up a mess. And there was a bunch of, hey, if anybody asks, I'm here kind of thing, you know, setting up an alibi. So police make their move. And in 2003, like I said, five years after the murders, they arrest Billy Dell and Chad. Now, originally, police thought that Billy Dell was kind of the, the mastermind of this. And they were like, we need to get Chad to flip on his dad. So the police offered Chad a deal in which he would basically get like 37 years in prison for all of the murders and the child molestation charge that was pending from something completely different from this case. They're like, look, we'll, look, it's like a fucking insurance policy. We'll give you, we'll bundle it all together. You just testify against your dad. 
And he was like, cool, cool, cool. So this is what Chad tells police. He says that he, Chad, went to Carl's house and said, hey, my car's broken down a mile up the road. Can you come help me? So Chad gets in the car with Carl, who takes him back to Chad's car. And that's where he shoots Carl. And then basically just kind of throws him in the river. When Chad takes Carl's car back to the house, that's when the kid comes running out, you know, like thinking it's his dad. Yeah. It's not. So he just grabs whatever's there and hits the kid. Now, it's not really clear where Billy comes in because Chad also says Carl came over to the house and Billy Dale had said, hey, if Carl comes over, you better call me. And so Chad said, hey, Carl's over here. And he's like, I'm on my way. And they did some meth together. They smoked some meth. And then Billy Dell drank the rest of the meth in his coffee. What? Did not know that was a fucking thing. And when they were heading out of the house, Billy Dell told Chad, get my 22 rifle. So I just don't know if that first part of the story is trying to. I just don't. I just don't understand really. But either way, they were both involved because we're never going to know the full story. There's this book called "The Creekside Bones: Reality Is More Horrifying Than Fiction." It's by George Jared, and he is on a podcast talking about the book called "True Murder," and. You know, he brings up a good point that Billy Dale is the mastermind of the family. He's the patriarch. He's the one that keeps everybody in the money and everything going and all of that. And this crime feels a little more disorganized, feels a little more impulsive. And that's just not really Billy Dale, you know, where it seems like he really was the one to come in and kind of help him clean yeah. up the mess. Yeah. So I really think that Carl did it. What we do know is Chad took Felicia, kept her tied up in a barrel in what? his garage in July heat. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. We know that it was like 100 degrees outside. I was about to say, in Arkansas. Right. So... He kept her for a couple of days, and he would sexually assault her repeatedly. Oh, my God. So we don't know how she died, but Billy Dale told Chad, quote, the fun had to end. Ew, ew, ew. Yeah, that's fucking despicable. Because, you know, Billy Dale knew that Felicia was going to be the one to lead them to the cops. Yeah, yeah. So, some say that Chad had, I'm going to use air quotes around this because fucking disgusting, had fallen in love with Felicia. Oh, my goodness. And so, he wasn't able to kill her. And so, Billy Dale had to do it. But I I don't know how true that is. That's just, again, one of the many, many rumors surrounding this story. He kept her in a barrel. Yeah. Okay. So, Chad testified against his dad. There was other testimony In Billy Dale's trial, where the witness said basically that she was scared of the Green family and specifically Billy Dale, and that she believed that he had killed her nephew because his disappearance was sketchy. Basically, last time he was seen was with them. So you can't have speculation like that in a trial that's 
for all intents and purposes, the judge should have at that point declared a mistrial because of that information that should not have been allowed in the trial. So even though Billy Dale at the end of that trial had gotten convicted on all counts of murder and sentenced to the death penalty, it ended up getting overturned. Oh, shit. So they said, okay, turn around, boom, we're going to retry him. You know, because they had one of their, one of the Green's nephews being like, yeah, he told me that if anybody asked where he was, this is what he's doing. You know, they, ha- it w- they had a pretty decent circumstantial case against them. They even had a former cellmate of Billy Dell that was like, oh, he absolutely confessed to me that he did it. And that he said that the police were were looking in the wrong place for the murder weapon, so they were never going to find, like, the gun. Even though they had found 22 casings, they hadn't found the gun. And they were like, he told the cellmate, like, they're looking in the wrong spot. They're never going to find it. And that they had impounded the car, and he was like, we cleaned that out so good, they're not going to get anything out of that car. And he told the cellmate that they had burned all of their clothes and stuff, too, so they weren't going to find any bloody clothes. Mm. Well, turning around... His conviction had gotten overturned, so they're going to try him again. This time, Chad's like, I'm not fucking testifying. Dang. So they're like, uh, what now? So what they did was they said, cool, you're not going to testify. Then say bye-bye to your deal because your deal doesn't exist because the first trial doesn't exist. Shit. Essentially, you know, because it... Everything was overturned. So that null and voids really his deal. Like it went way up the court systems because his because Chad's attorneys were like, this is double jeopardy. And they're like, no, it's not. Because again, basically the deal was voided when that trial was, vo- mm. was voided. So now he's looking at a fuck ton of years in prison. So Chad had to go to trial now after this. And he got sentenced to 40 years for the kidnapping and 56 years for raping two girls in that unrelated case that we were talking about that had originally been bundled and four life sentences for each of the murders. Wow. So the prosecutors decided to not go for the death penalty again because they knew that the, basically this, one of the star witnesses in, would have been Chad and Billy Dale's trial was the ex-wife and Chad's mom. So they were like, she's never going to testify against her son and put him in jail. Or she's going to minimize everything. You yeah. know, it's not going to be a quality. You know, it's going to lose its oomph because she's not going to be as forthcoming because she doesn't want to literally convict her son to death. So that's why they didn't seek the death penalty anymore. So even without Chad's testimony, Billy Dale was sentenced to essentially the same thing, four life terms in prison, and they are both rotting away in prison for the murders of the Elliott family. Wow. Isn't that awful? That's fucking terrible. That title of that book is right. The true story is worse than any horror movie you can think of. Yeah, I mean, we, you and I always talk about how awful it is when someone's hit with like a hammer or a tire iron. And I mean, Lisa was hit 27 times. I keep thinking about the kid though. You know, usually if someone was just going to murder the kid, they would shoot them or, you know, something like, well, they just, and not, 
like personal like that. Well, they also just fucking drank meth, so Oh my gosh. That hurts me. That it was a a very like what seemed like a very unknown story, so it was there wasn't a ton ton out there, like even like for stuff to listen to. I didn't even find it on YouTube. And of course that could have been because there's so many different ways it's known because yeah. like she was found and, you know, she was in a barrel. You know, there's so many like taglines to it. Mm-hmm. So thank you for the recommendation, Kat. It was a terrible story, but it was a interesting story nonetheless. Yeah. But I just thought it was so cool how they were like, oh, you're not testifying? Okay, well, by the by, say bye to your deal. Yeah. Well, see, I was like, damn, he got him because he did testify Mm-hmm. But no, okay, I see. Technicalities. Right, which is why I couldn't be an attorney. I was looking at the um, court files for the appeal and like, you know, these are all the reasons. And it's like uh, section 4037524. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay, skim that part because that's legal jargon I don't understand. And move on to what does affirmed mean? You know? Yeah. In made that show. Uh-huh. Uh, it's so true because when she's like they go to court and she's like trying to understand everything, but they're going legal, 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 legal. Yeah, because she doesn't understand what it is. So, and I'm like, I get that. Yes, because words, okay, sure, I know what they are, but when you're in that sentence, I have no idea. Right. Well, and that kind of goes to like when people try to be their own attorneys, which is what Billy Dale did. He was gonna appeal his conviction and act as his own attorney and then like miss deadlines turning stuff in because it's like you can't you can't you didn't go to school for four years for of law school or however long it is three four years and you don't it's like yeah they say that what's the saying you act as your own attorney and um like that's the dumbest client you'll ever have or something (laughs) i don't know i've never heard that yeah it's like the dumbest a client an attorney will ever have is themselves or something like that or the dumbest attorney. What's the saying? <laughs> no, I've never heard that, but that makes sense. Oh, that, okay. I, I had to Google it. A man who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client. Yes. Wow, that was not at all what I said. No, but I got it. Dang. Well, my story is not like that at all, but it does does center around a family. At least it's not going to be this bad. No. All right. The family in my story is the Irving family. Okay. We had some Elliots, and now we have some Irvings. Yep. The dad is James, but goes by Jim. Mom, Margaret. And the daughter's name is going to give me fits, but it's Voiry. Okay. I thought you were going to say rural. No, but it's... I've heard it pronounced different ways, like... Like, roar... Mm-hmm. You know that word? Rory. Uh, so it would be Vory. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I get it now. But I think it's Voiry. It's V-O-I-R-R-E-Y. So just know there's different ways to pronounce it, okay? <laughs> I don't know. Voiry was 13, and both Jim and Margaret were in their 50s. They lived on the Isle of Man, not to be confused with Man Diego, because we are across the pond for this one. You know my favorite place to go <laughs> that I've never been to. Mm-hmm. 
The Irving family had moved to a remote hilltop on the Island Man after Jim retired from being a piano salesman. He had no experience in farming. <laughs> Sorry, I just pictured like a door-to-door salesman with, with like a piano on his back. <laughs> door-to-door and I know that's stupid. Baby grand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, sugar dates. That's what you sounded like. Okay, I know that's not at all what he did, but that's the image I got. And <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm. All right. Jim had no experience farming, but that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to buy a plot of land and farm it. So they did, and they called their isolated farmhouse Dorlish Cashin. In 1931, about 15 years after they had moved there, they had all become accustomed to the farming way of life. That's all Voiry knew. And that life was good and ordinary until one night in September, things started to go bump in the night. And actually, it was more like scratch, scratch, scratch. Living on the farm, being in a remote location, Jim chalked it up to rats or another kind of rodent. Ooh. So he laid out poison, but the next night was the same thing. Scratches, tapping on the wall, little noises like that. And again, Jim decided he would poison it and kill it. He would try to trap it, whatever. But he put the poison out. He put the traps out. And again, the nightly noises continued. And that lasted weeks. The noises did start to shift over time. There was spitting and rustling. Spitting? Yeah, So something was definitely infesting their walls. Finally, Jim had had enough, and so he just let out this loud growl. Just, you know, like you want to scare it off. But to his surprise, he didn't scare the critter away. It growled back at him, and it sounded like his growl. Burn it down. (laughs) The night after, the noises still persisted, but also had the addition of barking like their dog, even though their sheepdog was asleep or not even inside. Jim became curious. It was like these sounds were mimicking them. So he decided to do various bird calls and such by whistling or whatever, and whatever remained hidden in their walls repeated the bird sounds perfectly. But then it got even more amazing and unbelievable. This unseen creature would start to sing nursery rhymes that Voiry had been singing around the farmhouse. And Jim had described the creature's voice as being about two octaves higher than an adult human. Yeah, that's not amazing. That's creepy as fuck. (laughs) So... Now, this takes us into October of the same year, 1931, the first sighting of what was in their walls and mimicking them. Voiry saw the creature and said that it was between nine inches to a foot long, had a rat-like body with a long, bushy tail, and was yellowish and brown. Like, it had fur, and it was yellowish and brown. What the fuck is it? Well, they didn't know what the creature was for sure, because she only got a glimpse. It was really fast. 
But then they learned that it wasn't an it, it was a he. How they learned that? He introduced himself as Jeff, and he said he was a mongoose. What in the ratatouille is going on? <laughs> what the fuck's a mongoose? It's like a... Like, I've heard of it, but I can't, I don't know. It's like a ferret and a squirrel okay. looking thing. Ugh. <laughs> But he said he was not just an ordinary mongoose. He was... A talking mongoose. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He was, quote, an extra, extra clever mongoose. And Jeff is spelled G-E-F. Okay, with the trying to be bougie. (laughs) Well, this came as a shock to everyone in the household because mongooses were not native to the land and also they don't... Talk. I was about to say, that's what you lead with? They're not native to the <laughs> land? It talked. <laughs> but lo and behold, this mongoose was doing exactly that. Jeff told them that he was born in New Delhi in 1852, but he was hunted and had escaped to the island. So Jim peppered him with more questions, and Jeff told him that he had understood people for years but that Jim was the one who taught him how to speak so he could finally communicate. But turns out in all of his travels, he had learned different languages such as Russian, Spanish, and Welsh. And Jeff was a hoot and a half for sure. And even though all of this seemed so bizarre, it was the most entertaining thing that had ever happened to the Irvings. And it was in the dead of winter and everything was so bleak outside. And when I say remote, they were remote. They didn't have a phone or electricity. They used oil lamps for lighting. The only thing they did have as entertainment, other than Jeff now, was a gramophone to play records on. And you also have to know that the Island Man has a lot of supernatural beliefs and everything. So even though this is so unheard of, a talking mongoose, They aren't dismissing it. They believe Jeff. Jeff would tell them random things about himself all the time. And let me tell you, he had a very high opinion of himself. And he also seemed to have really drastic mood swings and could turn on you very easily. Jeff told them that he was the eighth wonder of the world. Okay, Jeff. The G. (laughs) He said that he was an earthbound spirit and a ghost in the form of a mongoose. And going back to Jeff thinking highly of himself, I just have to tell you one more quote from him. He said, if you knew what I know, you'd know a hell of a lot. Clever, Jeff. (laughs) Clever. But then in true mood swing form, he also told them, I'm a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, and turned into stone or a pillar of salt. Now we know Voiri has caught a glimpse of him and she was fine. So talk about dramatic. The Irvings and Jeff would hold conversations and whatnot that just passed the time. However, when Jeff was over the conversation or didn't want to do what was asked of him or anything, he would just scream out, vanished, and leave. (laughs) I can't with this. (laughs) I just feel like he is what you would want to be, just like, bye, and like be able to check out. And 
You couldn't talk about him or have secrets because his hearing was amazing. He could hear up to 20 feet away from him and like you could whisper and he would repeat exactly what was just said to show he was always listening, always around. But Jeff did more than just hold conversations. He would announce when a guest would show up at the house or when a dog would show up. Also, if the family went to sleep with the fire still on, he would put it out for them. But he was also one to say, hey, I put that fire out for you. Don't you hate friends like that? They're like, "Uh, I spent $7.27 for you on July 31st, so I'm going to need you to buy this for me. (laughs) Well, he would also go and hunt and kill rabbits for them to eat and to sell. And in turn, they would feed him as part of the family. He didn't eat anything like a pet would. He instead loved bacon with no fat on it, which, same. I mean, yeah, same. Sausage, mm mm-hmm, and goodies such as biscuits and chocolate. Well, so they would leave him his food and plates that they hung from the rafters because he loved using the rafters and the, the cross beams and everything to move about. Jeff would also accompany the family on their trips to the grocery store and stuff, but he would always be on the other side of the bushes or darting about to remain unseen. But he would talk to them and everything. Well, Jeff would also go on holidays, as he called them, where he would eavesdrop on people in town and stay in their houses for a couple of days and stuff, return to the farmhouse and gossip about what he saw and heard. Okay, well, he sounds like my friend. <laughs> right? You know what I you know what I say. If you can't say something nice, come sit by me. <laughs> I don't want any part of your drama, but I want to know 1000% of it. Yes, that is you 100. Your drama is going to give me a nervous belly and anxiety. That's why I can't be a part of it, <laughs> but I want to hear all about it. Uh-huh. I got enough anxiety on my own without somebody adding to it. That's why I just want to hear it and not be a part of it. Mm. Well, speaking of drama, Jeff told the Irvings that he rode on the undercarriage of the buses when he would travel so he could get further along. I mean, work smarter, not harder. And I guess the news of him and how he traveled spread. And so there was this electrician who worked at the bus depot and he installed an electric metal plate under one of the vehicles because they had seen this creature going about, and so he was going to kill it. Well, Jim heard about it, and he told Jeff. He was like, hey, be careful. And Jeff was like, oh, I know all about it. It's under bus 81. And so Jim called up there, and it really was under bus 81. Damn, how he knew? So it's like, is he real? So what could be wrong with something that's helpful and a companion? Well, remember those mood swings? Mm -hmm. Jeff told them once, I am not evil. I could be if I wanted. You know what damage or harm I could do if I were roused? I could kill you all, but I won't. Like, how do you sleep when something that you can't really see says that? Right. He also hated if Jim took too long to open the paper and to read to him. That's so you, with me opening anything or doing any arts and crafts, like, can you hurry the fuck up, Donna? Well, Jeff yelled out, read it out, you fat-headed gnome. Um, Okay, first of all, 
Jeff with a G. <laughs> Don't be calling somebody fucking fat. You rat face face. <laughs> you rat, rat face face. face. <laughs> this is why I can't. I have no comeback. <laughs> <laughs> you rat face face. Okay. Words are so hard for me today. Like all I picture is face from Nick Jr. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I was talking about. <laughs> God, I'm so clever. <laughs> he also told them, if you're kind to me, I will bring you good luck. If you're not kind, I shall kill all of your poultry. That's very specific of what he's going to kill. Because that's how they made money. Where they got all that bacon and stuff from then? I'm saying like, because they would do the eggs and yeah. all of that. Farming, Carrie. Well, and he had a habit of throwing things when he would go into one of his tantrums. Stones, jars, and even a needle once. What the fuck? I can dodge a jar. I can dodge a stone. (laughs) You can't see a needle coming at you. (laughs) I can't dodge anything. (laughs) You are, Jeff. (laughs) I can do this. I can do that. I can't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I hate him so much. I see so much of myself in him. I think so. Well, also, Jeff had an appetite like me, and he could always sweet-talk Jim into giving him more food. And because Jim always liked to talk to him, Jeff liked Jim. But if they didn't feed him when he asked them to, he would throw stuff at them or make loud groaning and sign sounds for like 30 minutes at a time. And this is at night. He's your dad. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they would be laying in bed or just getting ready for bed, and Jeff would be like, hey, Jim, what about some grubbo? Like, that's a quote. And if they didn't, he would throw a tantrum. And when he would do this, he said he did it for devilment. And even though Jeff talked to all the members of the family, he really became obsessed with Voiry. At one point, she wanted to sleep in her parents' bedroom because she was so scared with how Jeff was acting. And so, of course, they were like, yes, come, stay with us, whatever. And so they locked their bedroom door, placed some stuff on it for, like, a barricade. But then Jeff threatened them with a screeching voice that he said that he would follow her wherever you put her. And then later in an interview, Jim said that after that, they could see the top of the door moving like something was trying to forcefully open the door. Jeff's least favorite person was Margaret. He would often throw stones at her, like pebbles. Once she was returning from being away, and he threw stones at her when she returned. And they were like, oh, he just missed you. He was like so excited that you were back. I'm like, no, he was like, Leave. Yeah, I liked it when you weren't here. Bye-bye. Yeah, but in true Sour Patch Kid fashion, just like you, he acted very sweet by finding a lost lamb of theirs on the farm. Like, he told them, he went out, found it, hey, this is where it's going to be, and it really was right there. But also, he would watch Margaret undress (gasps) and announce each article of clothing she removed as she did. Not okay, Jeff with a G. No. He called her a bitch and stuff, too, because that's something else. Jeff was rude, and he would cuss a lot. Well, I mean, so he's us. I mean, yes. 
And if anyone said they didn't believe Jeff was real, he would throw objects at them or even spit at them through holes in the wall. And this kind of behavior from Jeff would continue over years. And Voiry was the focus of it. And even when she went to school, she couldn't get away from Jeff because everyone made fun of her. Aww. She said the other kids would call her the spook or taunt her for living in a haunted house. Once, Jeff had followed her to school, of course, staying hidden, and he heard a boy teasing her, calling her the Dolby spook, and he threw rocks at the boy. So, locals, of course, knew of Jeff and everything, and some had been to the house and heard him, like only a handful, because it was a trek to get up to the farmhouse, so they didn't get a lot of guests. But one of the guests was Arthur Morrison, who was the son of Jim's BFF. And he said that when he arrived, he heard a screeching voice say, Hello, Arthur. And so he was like, Hey. (laughs) And it said, Call me Jeff. I'm an earthbound spirit. Before I saw you, I was going to blow your brains out with a 3D cartridge. But I like you now. What the hell's a 3D cartridge? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And I was going to blow your brains out? What the fuck? Fuckity fuck. So, of course, Arthur is stunned and just slow blinking. And then Jeff said, vanished. And he went away. What? Jeff later told Arthur that because he was a doubter before, he was going to keep him up all night. Well, around 9 p.m., Arthur heard something scurry under his bed. So he looked and he saw two piercing eyes looking back at him, and he heard a spitting noise, and then he heard a voice ask, now do you believe? But soon, someone far away caught wind of Jeff, and his name is Harry Price, which he's a famous psychic investigator, like a cyclical research person, all the things. Well, Harry sent a colleague on the first trip, Captain Dennis. And this guy didn't see Jeff during that trip, and he almost called it a complete bust. But then, right when he was about to leave, he heard Jeff speak. Jeff was shrill when he screamed, Go away! Who is that man? Because Jeff didn't like strangers. He didn't want to perform on cue. And this was a testament to it. Captain Dennis also heard lots of knockings and loud bangs that would be in different places really quickly, like something scurrying around on the roof and banging down on the ceilings from different rooms, something really fast. He also saw a bottle and a china tray be moved like it was being thrown from the staircase, and there was a laugh that they could hear when this was happening. When this was reported back to Harry, he did make a trip to the farmhouse, but again, no proof was really witnessed, though Harry did notice that the walls were wooden paneling, but there was a space between the paneling and the original stone. So with this, he said, basically, it would make the house one of those whisper halls, so In any room, you could say something and someone else could hear it easily. I feel like he didn't do a lot of research on that. He just said it could have been that, but didn't test it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Well, and I'm not saying old Jeffy Jeff is real, but I'm saying if that was the case, then how could they account for him knowing like details from the area? Right. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Well, later on, a sample of Jeff's hair and a cast of his teeth and paws were sent for analysis at the Natural History Museum. But they said that the hair was likely a dog, which, again, they have that sheep dog. But they didn't know what the teeth and the paws were from, but they didn't look like they belonged to a mongoose. So Jeff continued to be the Irving's house guest for a while. But in 1945, Jim passed away, and so Margaret and Voiry moved away. They ended up having to sell the farmhouse way below what they were asking because of the reputation of Jeff and it being haunted. The next resident of the farmhouse, Leslie Graham, said that he killed Jeff, but the picture he displayed was not a mongoose, and instead it looked like a polecat. Voiry was shown a picture and she said it wasn't Jeff. No one ever fessed up to the whole thing being a hoax, ever. Voiry passed away in 2005, still maintaining that Jeff was real and furthermore, he was, quote, detrimental to my life. Oh my God. Voiry was a very shy kid and this whole ordeal caused her to be in the limelight locally. She continued to talk about Jeff saying that he, quote, made me meet people I didn't want to meet, and then they said I was mental. She also said, Jeff has even kept me from getting married. How could I ever tell a man's family about what happened? And she ended it with saying, he said he was a mongoose and he said we should call him Jeff, but I do wish he had left us alone. So I want to go over a few things, like some theories and whatnot. So most don't believe, and I feel like you're in that category. Duh. However, people who do believe in Jeff say he was probably a poltergeist or something because, again, he centered around Voiry and she was a lonely teenage girl pining for another life. Like, all the things we've ever talked about poltergeist activity. It's throwing things, noises, whatever. But some say it was Jim's way of entertaining Voiry, but most think that it was Voiry and Margaret who came up with this whole hoax to try to make Jim move back to Liverpool. Because Voiry had only known the lonely farm life, but Margaret remembered the city life and yearned for it. So they did this to scare him, but he ended up loving Jeff, so they kept, they kept it going for entertainment. And some people said that Voiry could throw her voice like a ventriloquist. But it should be known that, like, sometimes she wasn't at home and he supposedly talked and stuff. So I don't, you know what I mean? You never know. They also say, like, how would he know that stuff that she would sneak into other people's houses? But how would she be able to be away from home without her dad really knowing that? Right. The thing they know for sure is it wasn't for fame or money because they didn't make a dime. They could have sold for some money, like sold the stuff, and they didn't. Even though they needed the money, they didn't do it. And Voiry was teased a lot and obviously resented all of it. So I feel like right then, like she would have stopped that. But 
there's really no real proof of existence or evidence of a hoax. So Jeff the Talking Mongoose is still considered a mystery. I will say that even though mongooses, (laughs) they're not native to the Isle of Man, a person had brought them over to try to like do, uh, try to control rats and stuff. And so it's feasible that there could be a mongoose. Okay. Even if this Jeff thing was real, he wasn't a mongoose. He was something just saying that. (laughs) I mean, this isn't Dr. Doolittle. They don't talk. (laughs) I don't know. I don't buy it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it would be, though. It doesn't make any sense that Voyeur was the one that did it. Like, if it was somebody doing it, it wasn't her. There's no way. Just because, like you said, I mean, she was, like, tormented in school and all. What was it? Dunno, but it wasn't her. Yeah. I don't know. And, like, some said it was Jim who was doing it, and just for entertainment and... Whatever, but I just feel like if your daughter was getting teased, you would stop. Uh, I don't think. If it was him, it that wouldn't have stopped him. You don't think so? No. But also, like, why would you do it if you didn't want money from it and you needed money? Yeah, that's another thing that makes me think that, like, it wasn't even the wife because, you know, when he died, they had to sell for way cheap. Yeah, You've got a smile. What are you thinking? Just, You're I not love, saying something. No, I just love Jeff the talking mongoose. Maybe this is why we can be friends because like he's obnoxious, but you <laughs> love him. What's that say about me? <laughs> he's an asshole, but he's sweet sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do call me a sour patch kid. This is why we yes. work. Yes. I do know this was way lighter than your story. It definitely needed to balance your story out. Yeah, my story was a fucking lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather Jeff the Talking Mongoose be real than your story ever have happened. Yeah, that's what's the worst and like scariest part is my story is real. Mm Mm-hmm. Jeff with a G, not so much. (laughs) And you know, he's just such an asshat. Like, I mean, his quotes... Are Kanye West. <laughs> yes, they are ridiculous. If Kanye West was a mongoose, <laughs> he would be Jeff with a G. Yes, and I, you know he's just like, again, if you knew what I know, you'd know a hell of a lot. Uh, you spelled your name G-E-F, okay? Well, people spell Jeff. G-O-F-F. True, true, true. Like Also, he has comebacks like me, you rat face face. <laughs> yeah. If you knew as much as I know, you'd know a lot. (laughs) Like, that's some fucking dumb shit, I would say, because I can't say words. And he did always sing those nursery rhymes and stuff. And, like, that's you with TikTok fucking saying. I was going to say, did he get the words wrong? (laughs) Probably. If he got the words wrong, it's me reincarnate. (laughs) Or maybe I'm reincarnate of Jeff. I don't know. But... But he was more nocturnal than you. Yeah, Like, no. that's the only thing y'all wouldn't get along on. I don't know. You said 9.30, and I was like, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he he would fuck with your sleep. Yeah, but if I was sleeping all day, I could be more nocturnal. He wasn't, though. He was going around people's houses. That's why he's not real. Nobody can do that but you. <laughs> 
Well, thank y'all so much for listening. Let us know what you think. Is Jeff with a G, but not spelled like normal? Uh, <laughs> what do y'all think? Is he real? Is he fake? Was it one of the family members? We want to know what y'all think. Thank y'all so much for listening. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.